Okay. Now we're okay. We're okay. I get the pleasure of uh, sharing my story and, and my testimony with you this morning. So, um, from a young age, um, I've grown up in the church, um, and I ha- had the general idea of what uh, Jesus did for me, dying on the cross for my sins. Uh, whereas some people might not have grown up in the church and uh, struggled a little bit more than I did. Um, now, growing up in the church doesn't mean um, I struggled with my own things. Uh, I would say I didn't really struggle until the end of my high school and college year and into college. During um, high school, um, I really loved playing sports, um, but most specifically, baseball was my favorite. Uh, um, during my sophomore year of baseball, um, I ended up tearing my labrum in my shoulder. Um, and for someone like me who really loved baseball, that kind of, it was really tough. Um, and I told myself I was going to do everything I could to get ready and prepared uh, for my junior season of baseball. Um, I ended up playing my junior year of baseball, um, but wasn't 100%. Uh, and then uh, comes around my senior year um, and my senior football season, I believe it was like the third game, I ended up tearing my ACL. Um, and that really bothered me because I had done so much to get back to 100% um, to be able to, it was my dream to play baseball in college. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really question, like, why, why'd God have to do that to me? Like, you know, I've, I've been going to church. I've, I go to youth group. Like, why, why did he have to do it to me? Um, like, I, I didn't deserve that. Um, but through all that adversity, I, I still um, had a faith in, in Jesus. Um, I ended up recovering from my ACL, um, and I had the opportunity to go play baseball um, at, at Lebec Community College in Parsons. Um, and during, during that time there, um, while I was up at Parsons, uh, a lot of the kids on the team uh, kind of made fun of me because I was the kid that, you know, kept my faith. Like, they would be like, you know, it's just okay to have sex just one time or have a drink just one time. Um, and as a 19-year-old, you know, that's pretty hard to do because you don't have that constant adult there to tell you, you know, it's, it's not okay to do that. Um, and again, just because I didn't go, I went to church doesn't mean I struggled with it. Um, it's just as easy for someone It's just as easy for uh, me to fall into temptations that it is uh, for someone that is addicted to them. Um, I didn't have that that adult there um, that it's not right uh, to do those things. Um, I had to keep my own faith. Uh, During this time, um, I found myself reading the Bible a lot more um, because it reassured me uh, that people who kept their faith were were rewarded. Um, 
um, from personal experience, I can say that it is so so true that um, if you keep your faith, you are rewarded. Um, because I kept my faith um, on my own, God blessed me by giving me the chance to be able to teach the high school youth group. And if you know me, I'm a very quiet person, and that's way out of my comfort zone. Um, but because I kept my faith on my own, God blessed me by giving me the chance to share my story uh, to those high schoolers um, that might be struggling with the same thing. And I have a verse that kind of helped me uh, get through that time, and it's Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is possible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, now I'm going to read Galatians I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Now, instantly, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advising, advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when God, who sent me, set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him, preach him among the Gentiles, Immediate, immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. If you want to hear a story about the wise man and the foolish man in modern day telling, Will's testimony is definitely one of those where he loved sports and he just got set back one after another, but his life was never built on sports. It was always built on Jesus. So thank you, Will, for doing that. Um, I know out of all the Eddington uh, children, he's probably the one least comfortable up here, but I greatly appreciate him being willing to come up and share his story. Um, If you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our passage. So Father God, we just come before you, and thank you for people like Will, uh, who after setback, after setback, God, he's keeping the faith in you, and he is sharing that with those who he encounters. And for Indigo and JD and so many other people in this room who um, have a story of how you are working in our lives. And so, God, I just pray that as we continue to dive into your word, and God, we just see how each one of us has something to share. God, I pray that you speak to us, that you open our hearts And that we just be transformed, that we be encouraged, and God, that we be emboldened to go and share who you are. So we need you in this time, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So uh, when I was growing up, I went to a private school, and my mom, who's here, shocker, wow, hey guys, um, we're going to change my introduction real quick, didn't know they were going to be here, so... (laughs) 
<laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, uh, but she was the secretary at the school that I went to. And so, you know, like, you got eagle eyes on you all the time. And so um, school kind of, I was blessed in this sense that um, I could retain knowledge. And so whenever it would come to studying and taking tests, uh, I could read it. I, I actually was smart at one time. I know that seems ridiculous, but it's true. Um, but I would read it and then I would retain it, take the test, and then obviously it just disappeared right after that. And so going through high school, um, I, I did my best, I studied, I got good grades, and then I got into college, and I have this phobia of people I don't know. I'm actually an introvert if I don't know you. And then if I know you, it's just like, all right, bets off, I'm gonna be me. And so I avoided the dorm life. It was like, <laughs> living with a bunch of people I don't know, that's not gonna happen. So I went to junior college and was able to stay at home with my parents and not live in the dorms. And there was a cool little thing about junior college. You don't really have to try. Um, it, it's not that hard of education. And so going through junior college, my first three semesters there, I applied myself, I had in-person classes, and then I saw that I was gonna end up going to university. And so I thought, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take online classes and start working so that I can pay for my college. And so I started doing that and it was online and it was some dumb class like music theory. I'm sorry if that's your thing. It meant nothing to me. I don't remember a single thing about it. But I took that class and a couple other classes that were pointless in my opinion. <laughs> and I taught physical education, so talk about pointless education. Um, but I remember taking those classes and my study habits just started dropping like crazy. And I realized that if I make a 4.0 in college, my first year of uh, university is paid for. And so I'm looking at my grades and I've got two weeks to go in the semester and I have all Bs. And it's like, oh my goodness. I don't wanna have to pay for college. So I start emailing all of the teachers and I'm like, hey, I really need an A in your class. What can I do to make an A? I'll do extra credit, I'll, do, I'll, I'll like volunteer time. What do I have to do to make an A? And thankfully, I was in class with all of the athletes who really didn't care. And so the teachers were like, hey, we're gonna grade on a curve. You're actually towards the top, you got your A. And then I went to university and all studying was out the window. Physical education, you throw a ball. It's that easy. It's not that complicated. So that's how I got to be where I was at that time. But I share that. See, I was once smart. Not anymore, apparently. But I share that. <laughs> not cool. <laughs> I share that for a purpose. Because just as I was going through that college and I was trying to rely on being better than everybody else to bump me to a passing grade, there's a lot of people that are doing that. There's a lot of people in today's society, even in churches today, who are doing that same thing. Where it's like, hey, by the end of this life, I really hope there's a curve. And I really hope that when I'm on my deathbed, I can be like, God, if you just give me one more day, I'll make it up to you. If you just give me a little bit more, I'll try harder and I'll give a little bit more. And I won't cuss so much and I won't sin so much. God, just can you grade on a curve? Because I'll be better than them. And can them be like Hitler? Because he was pretty bad. 
And so like when we're looking at bars, I can, I can one-up Hitler, I'm sure. And so we're trying to live on that grade, on that curve, where honestly, it even seems this way, that the longer you claim to be a Christian, it's like the easier it is for religion to creep in. And now when I say religion, I mean religion in the sense of a, a tradition of doing things in order to achieve God's favor. A, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give that. I'm going to so that God will love me more. What do I have to do, God, to bump the grade in my favor so that I can get into heaven? Also to the point where I got to this point on my own. I worked hard. I did enough. I'm not like those other people. So that's what I mean by religion. Whenever we are playing that comparison game of I do enough stuff, they don't do enough, so therefore I'm good with God because of what I do. And, and that's almost kind of what I would say is cultural Christianity, where you claim this belief and you think, okay, yeah, I believe in God and I'll just be good enough. You know, I'm, I'm going to be better than everybody else or not everybody else, but those people. I get to pick and choose who the curve is graded on. And that's kind of cultural Christianity. I, I'll, I'll try and not sin as much. I'll try and help people out. You hear it at a lot of funerals. They were just a good old boy. They were a good person. And it's like, we want to grade on that curve. Like, yeah, they didn't always go to church. They didn't always pray, but they were a pretty good person. And so what we're looking at as we're going through this series on sharing our story, as Will read our passage, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, but we're also going to be in Luke chapter 18, and then also in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the story of Paul, formerly known as Saul, who kind of was living that self-righteous lifestyle. He was like, hey, when it came to doing enough for God, I did. Like, you name it, I did it. Because I was seeking a righteousness on my own terms, not a righteousness based on God. And so I just want to open up with the question even that I hope will open our hearts up to really where do we stand with God in this sense? Why are you here today? Like, honestly, think about that question and honestly answer that question. What is the reason that you came to church this morning? Is it because it's Sunday? Well, that's what we do. I mean, you know, we're especially now that school is starting back up. And so, you know, Monday through Friday, we work, we go to school. We're trying to develop this routine and these habits. And so Sunday morning, we wake up and we go to church. It's kind of our routine is that why you came today? Well, because it's Sunday. That's what we do. Or is it because of what you did this week? And you're like, oh my goodness. I can't believe I just did that. God, um, here's, here's the thing. God, I failed you. I screwed up. I'll be there Sunday. I will, I will go. And you know what? I'm going to give a little bit more. And you know what, God? I'm going to pray a little bit harder. And God, please forgive me because of what I just did. That was so dumb. I need you to forgive me. So I'm going to go and be there Sunday so that I can feel better that we're on a level, play, or that not a level playing field, but that we are in right standing. Is that why you're here? 
Or is it because you bear the name of Christian? And it's like, I'm a Christian. That's what we do. We go to church. It's kind of like an obligation. Like, you get married, you got to go on dates. You give your life to Christ, I guess I got to go to church. It's an obligation. Why is it that you're here? What is at the root and the heart of your coming here this morning? And regardless of what it is, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. But if the reason you're here is tradition, routine, obligation, or some God, I'll make it up to you. It's the wrong reason. It's, we don't do religious things. You see, the thing is, if you are attending church, if you are giving money, if you are praying, if you are serving, if you are doing anything in order to gain God's approval, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You cannot do enough to gain God's approval. It's not the right thing. You see, why, why is it wrong? Because most of the time, the hypothetical conversation, or maybe it's not even hypothetical, the conversation goes like this. God, I attended this week. We're pretty good. God, you know what? Look at this. I'm going to drop a couple extra dollars in there. Can I receive some kind of blessing? God, I, whatever it is, it's I, I, I. I attended. I gave. I prayed. I, whatever. You know that's actually biblical? In Luke chapter 18, I said we were going to be there. Jesus is sharing this parable. And so in verse 9, we're told that Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So Jesus right here is saying, you know what? There are people who are trusting in themselves for their own righteousness. And so I'm going to point that out right now. I'm going to share this story of people who trust in themselves. And the thing is, when you trust in yourself for righteousness, it's a hopeless cause. And so one test that Jesus gives us, how do I know if I'm self-righteous? He continued on in verse 9. He said he's sharing this parable about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And then he said, and treated others with contempt. A test to see if you are self-righteous is how do you view other people? What is your heart towards other people? How are you looking at them? When you look at them, are you like the man or the Pharisee in this parable? Because Jesus goes on and he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. And so here we have two people, both going to the temple, both going for the same cause, but they're on total opposite ends of the spectrum. You have a Pharisee who is like the professional religious person. I mean, he's like, if you could make it to the NBA of religion, that's who they were. They were the epitome. They were the ones that saw the law, the Old Testament, and they said, we're going to abide by this. But not only this, we're going to add laws to it because we don't want to break these. So we're going to even make it even more strict to avoid breaking those. They were like, if we can do it, we're going to do it. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, the tax collector. A Jew who bought from the Romans the right to be able to tax their own people but not only tax them, pad their own pockets from it. 
and get money based off of it. They were thieves of their own people. They were hated by Romans because they were Jews and by Jews because they were traitors. So you have the religious elite and you have the tax collectors. And Jesus goes on. He said, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. And so here we see this Pharisee and he's going in and he's like, you know what, God, thank you that I'm pretty much amazing. Thank you, I am a gift to everybody around me because I fast twice a week and I give part of everything that I get. God, thank you because I'm special. Pretty uh, arrogant, right? Pretty like none of us want to pray that prayer. Probably nobody woke up this morning like, God, I thank you for blessing Center Christian Church with my presence. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. We're not like that. Hopefully not. It's arrogance if you are. But do we pray that way, not in word, but in our actions? Do we pray like that whenever we do not respond and we play the game of comparison to other people? Whenever it's like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that they behave like that. I cannot believe they would do something like that. I cannot. And it's like, you know what? Aside from the grace of God, I'd be just like that whatever that is. And so we play that game. We may not verbally play the pride game, but our hearts and our attitudes and our actions claim it. When we look down on other people, as Jesus opened up this parable, to those who are self-righteous in their own eyes and treat others with contempt. The test of seeing if you are self-righteous is how do you view other people? Are you playing a comparison game? I would never do something like that. I have it together. I'm so grateful, God. That is self-righteousness. And we do it in our hearts. And so look, even this, this Pharisee, he's obeying God. He's doing right things. We are commanded to fast. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to give. But it's with the entirely wrong actions or wrong heart behind the actions. It's all about me. It's all about self, pride, and arrogance, which is the enemy of the gospel. And then Jesus shares about the tax collector, where he says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, here's the thing. They're both on level playing fields. The Pharisee is no better off than the tax collector. Whenever it comes to standing before God, the self-righteous and the atheist and the Buddhist and the Muslim and whoever you want to throw out there, they're all going to be the same. Every single one of them is deserving of hell. Every single one of them has a hope that will perish If you're here today because you think something here that you're doing will make you stand right before God, it's wrong. 
being here to grow in your relationship with God, to be reminded it is all about the sacrifice of Jesus, that it's nothing I can ever do on my own. It's all about Jesus. That's why we come, to encourage one another towards God. I was encouraged as everybody was singing, how great is our God. Did we sing that song? (laughs) Okay, that's the one. It was song number two that I really liked, whatever the name of it was. But hearing you all sing that encouraged me, reminding me it's about God. He is why I'm here. It's not so that I can earn favor with him. That's already been done. Romans chapter 5 tells us, before I even gave my life to Christ, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me and made me right with him when I give my life over to him in faith. But it's just a surrender. It's not an action that I can do other than, God, I can't do anything. I need you. And so we need God. We need to remind ourselves Even as, you know, mature Christians that, like Will even and myself, we were raised in the church. Your parents' faith does not make you a Christian. Your nationality does not make you a Christian. Your good deeds do not make you a Christian. Your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only thing that makes you a Christian. That you have been identified with Christ. You see, Paul writes the book of Romans. And, and he opens up Romans by sharing with us the gospel. And he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jews and then for the Greeks. And then he goes on to share how everybody needs the gospel. The gospel's for everyone. And suddenly he makes this shift where it's like this is why the gospel levels the playing field. Why every single person, regardless of who you are, needs the gospel. He starts in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through the end of the chapter. And he's just talking about, you know what? There were those who exchanged the image of God for the image of created things. And they worshiped the created things. And they turned their hearts against God. And so therefore, God just gave them over to their wickedness. And to be honest, everybody would probably agree with that. Even people who don't believe there's a God would probably be, probably be like, you know what? If there is a God, yeah, there's people that should suffer his wrath. Like the Hitlers and those who like prey on innocence and, and those who just blatantly go against his will. It's like if you're a parent or if you've ever seen parents parent and they have that child, it was my brother, not me, but they have that child who just totally goes against mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was the innocent one. So, but you know, like, they're, it's, it was me. Um, but they're there, and you know what? They're like, Mom, Dad, I don't care what you say. You tell me sit down, I'm going to stand up. You tell me don't eat cookies, I'm having a handful of them. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going against them, and I'm going to make a scene about it. And I mean, pretty much everybody, even people who don't have kids, would be looking at that like, parent, feel free. Whatever you have to do to that child, you better teach them a lesson. And so that's how it is. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32, you look at that and you're like, God, they are clearly going against your will. Smite them. But then he makes that shift in Romans chapter 2. And it gets a little more uncomfortable. 
Because Romans chapter 1, everybody wants to agree because we're playing the comparison game. Yeah, they're pretty bad people. But then in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. So, man, that kid, he just acted out, wow, he needs to be disciplined. And then next thing I know, I'm acting out. I'm disobeying. I am just as guilty as that person. And he says, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them yourselves, we are just as guilty. You will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will, re will be revealed. You think you're better because you do better? You're not. You're just as condemned as they are. And then he goes on to say, your conscience bears witness against yourself. You can't even uphold your own standards, let alone the perfect standard of God. He goes through and says, you're guilty. All the way to uh, chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being raised in the church, you're still falling short of the glory of God. Being, claiming to be a Christian and like, you know what? I've never drank, I've never smoked, I've never chewed, I've never committed adultery. That's a lie. Jesus says that if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. I've never murdered, that's a lie. If you're angry with your brother, it's the same as, commi as, as committing murder. And so Jesus is saying right there in the Sermon on the Mount, every single person is guilty. Every single person is deserving of God's wrath. But we all can receive grace. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, the problem with religion, and I'm modern day religion, what we call religion, where it's like, hey, I'm going to try and tilt the scales in my favor, is that we think we can never tilt the scales in our favor. And what I mean by that is like if I do enough, if I give enough, whatever it is, I'm going to act so that I can earn God's favor. It would be like, you know, those balance scales, like you put weight over here, it tilts other way. It'd be like if you took two tons and you dropped it over here and that represents one sin. The, the littlest sin, like, well, I just told a white lie. James actually tells us that even if you fail in one area, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. And so one little sin is two tons. And then it's like, you know what? I'll work. I'll, I'll, I'll be good enough. It's like throwing pennies in a bucket on the other side. And it's like, you know what? I attended church today. That's going to tilt the scale. It's not even budging that scale. Well, I'm going to open the door for some kind elderly people. 
that'll tilt it, and like you're just constantly throwing coins in there, hoping and realizing it is never going to go anywhere. Because on our own, on our own efforts, we can't be right with God. That's the whole essence of the gospel. You look at every other religion, and they're going to say, try harder. You look at, like, Muslims, and they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to do my best not to tick off Allah. And maybe someday when I die, I'll receive heaven. You look at Hinduism, which is like the reincarnation. And if you're good enough, you can come back as a cow. If you're bad, it's a cricket. Sorry. Like, you're going down. So much so to even atheism, who's like, you know what, what's the point of life? The point of life is to try better to leave the earth as a better place for the future generations. And it's like, even that, you're failing. Christianity is the only religion that says you can't. Like, any effort on your own is a failed effort. Only the, the sacrifice in the work of Christ you see, C.S. Lewis, he's probably one of my favorite authors. And, and this story is legend. It's kind of hard to find, like, the, the origin of it, but it's still a really cool story. Whereas C.S. Lewis, he was teaching at Cambridge over in England, and all the professors are sitting in a room, and they have every single religion written on the wall, and they're writing stuff out about it, and they're looking at it, and they're like, okay, what is the difference? And C.S. Lewis comes walking by, and he peeks his head in, and they're like, hey, Clive, come in here. That's his name. And they're like, Clive, come in here. What's the difference? And C.S. Lewis looks at it for a minute. He sees them all, and then he sees Christianity, and he's like, you know what? That's easy. Points to Christianity, and he says, grace. And then he turns around and walks away. Because only Christianity tells us we are saved by grace, not the result of works, so that no man may boast. It is the gift of God. Only Christianity says it's not about how hard you try. It is only about giving Jesus your life, fully surrendering and realizing I can't do enough. The more and more I toil, the more and more I try and tilt the scale in my favor, I realize it actually goes further the other way, that I'm unable to do it because also there's no scale. And how do you know when that imaginary scale has tilted when you never get to see it? And so it's like you can try, but God set the standard for us. He said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And so that's, that's the standard. That's the scale right there. Where Jesus, he tells us that we are to live for him. He, he, he points out, if you want to live on the scale, this is what the scale is. Be perfect. Don't, don't fail in one area. And then James tells us in James 2.10, if you keep the whole law but you fail in one point, you have broken the entire law. That's why there's no judging between other people. That's why I can't look at a single other person and be like, boy, you know, when it comes to being right with God, I am so much more right than you. Because I've broken not one, a lot. And yet it says, even if I just broke one, I'm guilty of breaking them all. So I can't look at this person and be like, you know what, you should just try harder and you can be a little more right with God because that's not even how I'm right with God. We are right with God because of what Jesus did. Galatians, where Paul told us this morning about our passage, he said in verse 13 that he was advancing in Judaism. He said, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. 
And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father because he thought, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to uphold the tradition, and that will make me right with God. And then he goes on to say in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, because he's pushing back on this, you can be right with God by your own efforts. And he says, if you want to put confidence in the flesh, I have more reason than you. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, if you can be better than them, who have devoted their entire life to upholding the law, he says, unless you're better than that, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But even they fall short. Even they fail. But zealous Paul who was like, I gave everything in my body to seeking after being all that I could be for God. I fell short. And he says, it was nothing. Verse seven, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law because that'll never pass, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You want to be right with God? It's not based on your efforts. It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus what he gave for you. That's the only way self-righteous or wicked are ever made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's the story of Paul. And that's the story of every single one of us that is saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see the same testimony of a drug dealer, of a pedophile, of somebody who have, has sold their body for money, somebody who's been in church for 50 plus years. It's the exact same story. I'm saved by grace. You can be too.
That's the command that we're given to go and share our story and tell what Jesus has done in our life and to spread that hope with a hurting and broken world. If you'll join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you. Again, God, that it's not based on effort, but that it's based on Jesus Christ. And I thank you for giving your son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God, may we walk in that freedom that comes from that. And I pray that if there be anybody here who uh, that's not their story, that they have not been saved by grace through faith. God, work in their hearts to respond to what you're calling them to be so that they can know that they are in right standing, never based on effort, but based on the sacrifice of Jesus. God, as we sing this song, just continue to work in our hearts. And then as we go from here, may we, like that song says, and like you commanded us, go and tell the world about the amazing God that we serve. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand.